morning, everybody. Good to see all of you here today. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. I'm excited to be here with you today. I want to begin by reading a letter to you that I came across recently. It was a bit long, so I, I shortened, took the liberty of shortening it up just a bit. But, um, and I'll put the letter up here for you as I read it to you. And here's what it said. It was sent to a pastor, all right? I recently attended your church. I don't know why I decided to get up early on a Sunday morning, and I'm not sure exactly uh, why exactly I chose your church, but nonetheless, I went. I guess it was because I overheard someone talking about this man named Jesus, and I heard that somehow he could help me get rid of some junk that is messing up my life. And I'm not sure what you church, church people call it. I guess you call it sin. So anyways, I was compelled by what I overheard, and he was telling the other person to check out his church. I didn't catch what church it was, but I wound up here. Now, can I just say, I really hate church. I mean that Jesus guy sounded really interesting, but I just can't do the church thing. The building looked really nice and, uh, and all, but when I got inside, I felt like a total outcast. People were just staring at me. I guess you guys don't do lip rings and punk hair. And those church program things, whatever you call them, they have a cool picture on the front. But how come I never see you guys around in my neighborhood? My neighbors just had a huge fight, and the wife threw all of her husband's stuff out on the front lawn and then drove off. I helped the guy pick up his stuff. I think he was trying to forget what happened. We could have used some extra help picking up his stuff. And I always talk to the lady sitting outside where I work, asking for food for her kids. Sometimes I try to get some Mickey D's breakfast for them. Is that something you guys would be interested in helping with? But anyways, I'm getting off track. So I go in and sit down, and some guy mumbles to his wife about me sitting in their seat. I'm really sorry about that. I didn't know who the guy was, but if you know who it is, can you tell him I'm really sorry? I really didn't know. And that music, well, I would say that the guitarist was total killer and the drums were sweet. I didn't really know what you guys were singing about. I didn't know the songs, but I did see that Jesus' name was mentioned a few times, so I tried paying attention. The leader seemed pretty pumped up, trying to get everyone to clap, but I think the people around me were bored with your songs. And then I thought, maybe you're not supposed to sing, which is why they stood still and just stared at the screen. Sorry, but I was just really bored overall. Uh, but I want to know more about this Jesus guy. After it was over, I didn't want to bug the speaker because there were a ton of people around him, so I decided to leave. All this to say, I was just hoping to find out more about Jesus. But sorry, I don't do long, boring program things at a place where people just stare at you. If that's your thing, more power to you. Sincerely, and I'll call him John. What do you think? You know, I want to share that letter with you because, and I'm thankful it wasn't sent to me, but to another pastor, but I wanted to share it with you because I think it illustrates a trend in society today. And that is, a lot of people don't like the church. In fact, there's some people who hate the church. And sometimes for understandable reasons, because maybe the church hurt them. Or maybe because something happened in the church and they felt like, like they were let down. They disappointed by the church. Maybe they, they've seen the hypocrisy in church people. Uh, maybe they think the church is outdated and that it's irrelevant and old-fashioned. Um, for whatever reason, um, they don't like the church. I mean, 
how often have you heard someone say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian? Or how often you've heard someone say, I love Jesus, it's the church I can't stand. How often have you heard that? Is that you? Maybe you've said that, maybe you've thought that. Well, I'm here today to say unashamedly, unashamedly, I love the church. I love the church. I love Jesus, and I love the church. You know, since the start of the new year, we've been in a series called This Is Home. And this series is all, has been all about the church. You know, kind of like about our church, but also, but more importantly, it's about the church of Jesus Christ. And Pastor Greg and I have been unpacking uh, for you some of the characteristics of what we think is a healthy church, church that fires on all cylinders. All right, and so this is our eighth week, so we've been doing this for two months now, and we're going to finish it up today. But just to recap, here's what we learned, right? In week one, we learned that a healthy church is hospitable. It loves strangers. Second, a healthy church is a fellowship. It is a family. Third, a healthy church is mission-minded. It's got to have a purpose. It's got to have a mission. And here at South Bay, our mission is to help people who are far from God, all over the world who are far from God, find and follow Jesus Christ. Fourth, a, a healthy church has a high view of Scripture. And it is committed to preaching and teaching the Word of God. And, and it wants its people to feed off the Word of God. Because the, the Bible is everything. Fifth, the healthy church is a graced community. Where it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to tell others that you're not okay. Sixth, we learned that the church is a team. And that's kind of how we do ministry. That's how we, kind of how we carry out God's mission. Uh, teamwork makes the dream work. And a dream works when everybody works. That's the church. And then last week, seven, number seven, we learned that a healthy church is a worshiping church. It loves to worship God, exalt the Lord. And I hope that you were here on Friday evening for our worship concert. It was amazing. It really was. Um, so throughout this series, our prayer has been that all of these characteristics would be true of us. It would be true of South Bay Community Church. Well, today I want to close out the series by telling you about why I love the church. This is home, and I want to tell you about why I love the church. If you brought your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Um, and Matthew chapter 16, that's where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> you can also follow along in your Baywatch. Baywatch is what we call our program around here. Hopefully you received one as you walked in. There's a sheet in there, lavender colored, I believe. And uh, all the verses are listed there for you and some fill-ins as well. You can also follow along in our South Bay Community Church app, which you can download right now if you want to from the app store. But before I get started, I want to open up our time in a word of prayer. All right, so will you pray with me? Father, what a great series that this has been. And we thank you so much. From the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for the church. And um, we get that there are a lot of people, maybe some people even in this room, who don't care much for the church. And I pray, Father, this morning that for every one of us, you would open up our eyes, you would open up our hearts, you would open up the word of God and it would become alive to us so that we would love the church. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be all throughout this room, working and stirring in us, speaking to us, moving in us, and I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, God, so that the words that I speak will not come from me, but that they'll come from you. Because if they come from me, it will land somewhere and it won't have any impact. 
But if they come from you, then the changes in us, the impact on us, in us can be incalculable. So speak to us today. Use this vessel of yours. And God, help us to understand why it is that all of us ought to love the church. So thank you, Father. Thanks for our time together today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On Wednesday of this week, a, a group from our church headed out to Culver City uh, with a group called Habitat for Humanity to help build a church in that community for a family. And I guess the, the arrangement is that they give the, the, the home to a family. Uh, they help build a home for a family there in that community. And this is the group. They were out there and uh, also joining. I mean, most of the group was made up of people on our staff they were joined by a couple of Hawaii 5.0 guys. That's what we call our Hawaiian guys here. Uh, uh, Howard Oshiro is my father-in-law and, and Wes Kobayashi. And they joined the group. And they were out there about a half a day building a home. And here's another shot of a, some of the workers out there. They were building a home. And I think that's really kind of cool. You know, in Matthew 16, when we get to Matthew 16, Jesus talked about building the church. Not about a home, but he talked about building the church. And this passage that we're going to look at is probably the definitive scripture or statement on the church that you'd find anywhere in the Bible. It is the definitive statement on the church. And I want to unpack it for you one verse at a time so you understand what this is all about. And, and, and you'll see why because this in a moment because this is a very significant passage. Take a look at it. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. Just take one verse at a time and work through this, all right? Starts out this way. Now... When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Okay, you can stop right there. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? All right, so first we see that Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. All right, underline Caesarea Philippi, circle Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a city that was located in northern Israel, almost at the very tip top of Israel. In fact, here's a map right here. And uh, at the very top of Israel, here's Israel here, but the very top is Caesarea Philippi. Right, if you go any further north, you're going to run right into Lebanon. If you go just a little bit to the west, this is all going to be Syria. All right, so Caesarea Philippi is at the very top of Israel, and it's at the base of Mount Hermon. It's at the, located at the base of Mount Hermon. Now, according to verse 13, Jesus traveled to Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, Caesarea Philippi is about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. So there's Jerusalem. It's about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. So verse 13 says, they went to the district of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus with his disciples. And when he got there, Jesus wanted to know what people were saying about who he was. And so he asked them, who do people say that I am? And of course, Jesus knew what people were saying because he was the son of God. He knew, he knew everything that everyone was thinking or saying, but he wanted to hear it from them. Who do people say that I am? And then here was the answer. Here's what they told him in verse 14. And they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so the response was this. It was a wide-ranging view of what people thought who Jesus was. And then Jesus asked them this pivotal question in verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? All right, so grab a pen. I want you to circle the word them. He said to them, 
Who do you say that I am? Circle the word you. Right? Now, the word them, the reason why I had you circle is because this is a plural pronoun. It refers to more than one people. He said to them. Right? He didn't say to them or didn't say to her or say to him. He said to them. And then the word you in the Greek is also a plural pronoun, meaning, and you can't tell by reading the English that it's a plural pronoun, but it's a plural pronoun in the Greek, meaning Jesus didn't address the question to one person. He addressed the question to all 12 of his disciples. Who do all of you say that I am? Who do all of you say that I am? In the very next verse, Peter answered the question. And when he answered the question, he didn't answer it just on his behalf, but he answered it on behalf of all 12 disciples. And here's what he said, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. All right, so he answered for all 12 disciples. In other words, after spending more than two years, that's what we believe the time frame was. This has been about two years since Jesus started his ministry. He'd been with them for at least two years. Uh, all 12 of his disciples came to the conclusion that this Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so they make this incredible uh, confession, extraordinary confession of who Jesus was. And then here's what Jesus said to them, verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Right? So first of all, Jesus made it clear that the only reason they knew who he was was because God revealed that to them, right? They didn't just come up to that, come to that conclusion on their own, but the Holy Spirit revealed that to them. And then he called Simon, he called uh, Peter, Simon Barjona. Will you circle Simon Barjona? Circle or underline that. P Jesus referred to Peter as Simon Barjona. First, he called him Simon. Why did he call him Simon? Because Simon was Peter's family name. That was his birth name. That's what his parents uh, named him when he was born. They named him Simon. That's why he called him Simon. And by the way, you might recall that Jesus was the one who changed Simon's name to Peter in John chapter 1, verse 42. So that's how Simon became Peter. But in this passage, he called him Simon, and then he called him Bar-Jonah. Now, what did he mean by calling him Bar-Jonah? Well, Bar-Jonah was an Aramaic word. Bar means son. We'll put that up here for you. Bar means son. For example, as in the word bar mitzvah. You've heard of that, a bar mitzvah. Bar means son. Mitzvah means or refers to the commandments of God or God's divine laws. It means commandments of God. All right? So you put bar mitzvah together and, you have, and the meaning would be this, son of God's commandments. A bar mitzvah, it means the son of God's commandments. So when a Jewish boy turns 13, they have a bar mitzvah, which is a celebration of the fact that the boy who just turned 13 has become a son of God's commandments. When we were in Israel, we saw several bar mitzvahs. They were having a celebration. They would lift up this 13-year-old boy and say, he is now 13. He is now a son of God's commandments. So bar mitzvah. Now, the reason why Jesus called Simon bar Jonah was because he was the son of a man named Jonah. Right? That's all that this means. Simon bar Jonah means, he called him by his family name or his, uh, his, the given name uh, by his parents. And he called him Bar-Jonah because he was the son of Jonah. That's all that this really means. But I want to explain it to you so you don't go, why did he call him Bar-Jonah? All right? So now here's what I really want to get to. All right? Verse 18. This is where we're going to be. All right? 
at verse 18 says this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right, let me read it one more time, because this is a key verse. And I tell you, Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter, Simon Barjona, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to grab a pen, circle Peter, circle the name Peter, and circle the word rock. Now remember, the New Testament was not written, was not written in English, it was written in Greek. All right? And the Greek word for Peter's name is Petros. Petros. Put that up here for you. And Petros means small rock or pebble. Small rock or pebble. Peter means, is Petros. It means small rock or pebble. The, the Greek word rock, which I also had you circle, is the word Petra. Petra with an A. And it refers to or means a huge boulder or a huge rock. All right, see the difference between the two? One is Petros, that's Peter. The other one is rock, that's Petra. All right, now, I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about this. But I want you to know, this, this particular verse right here has been the center of controversy for centuries. In fact, I think it would be accurate to say that this may be the most controversial verse in the entire Bible. And here's why. For more than 1,500 years, the Roman Catholic Church has maintained that the word Petra, rock, refers back to Peter, Petras. That's what they believe. In other words, they believe that Peter is the rock upon which the church is built. And that led, led the Catholic Church to name Peter as the first bishop of Rome and the first Catholic pope. That's what prompted all this. And then after Peter died, he, his apostolic uh, authority was passed on to the next pope. And when that pope died, that apostolic authority was passed on to the next pope, and the next pope, and the next pope, and the next pope, all the way down to the current pope that we have today. This is referred to as apostolic succession. And thus, Catholics believe that Peter established the Catholic papacy. And they gave the pope Gave, gave the Pope the title, the Vicar of Christ. The word vicar is a Latin word, comes from vicarious, and it means instead of. And according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, the, the title, the Vicar of Christ, implies or suggests that the Pope is the supreme and universal authority over the church. He is the authoritative and supreme representative of Christ on the earth. And in his official capacity, as the head of the church, as the Pope, Catholic, Catholics believe and teach that the Pope speaks ex cathedra, which means he speaks without error. He speaks infallibly. In other words, whatever he says is absolutely true. All right? In other words, he speaks with the divine authority that is equal to that of Christ himself. And all of this, all this has been derived from verse 18. And, and that's why this verse has been at the center of controversy and contention for all these many centuries. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem with their interpretation. If you take a look at verse 18 again, take a look at verse 18 again. What I did this time on the screen is that I substitute, substituted the word pet Peter for Petros, which is what it is in the Greek, and I substituted the word rock for Petra, which is what it is, all right? Now, if Jesus truly meant 
that the church was to be built on Peter, then it seems to me that Jesus would have said, and I tell you, you are Petros, and on this Petros, on you, Peter, I will build my church. But notice, Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say that. Instead, he used a different word. He used Petra. On this Petra, on this rock, on this Petra, I will build my church. The $64,000 question is, what did Jesus mean when he said, on this Petra, on this rock, I will build my church? Well, one of the ways that we interpret Scripture is by examining other Scriptures. You know, the principle of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics means to, it's the study of uh, interpret, interpreting the Bible. We look at other Scriptures to help us interpret the, the Scriptures. So take a look at another Scripture. Tell, oh, you take a look at what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. And I think this will clear it all up. 1 Corinthians 10, 4. And I'll put it up here for you. Paul wrote, and all drank the same spiritual drink, whatever that means, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Guess what the word, the Greek word for rock is twice here, and you can circle rock if you want. The Greek word for rock is Petra. It's Petra. Paul said the Petra, the, he, for they drank from the spiritual Petra, that uh, they, they drank from the spiritual Petra. What's spiritual Petra? The Petra was Christ, right? So Paul said the Petra was Jesus. Jesus is the Petra. Jesus is the rock. So go back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. The rock on which the, the, the church was built was Petra, and the Petra is Christ. Therefore, the rock on which the church is built is none other than Jesus Christ. It is Jesus and not Peter. Which is why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, again, we look at other scriptures, for so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the very cornerstone right? Being the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone of the church. He is the rock on which the church has been built. And he also wrote, Paul also wrote this, Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the, the body, the church. And Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, right? So Jesus is the head, right? He is the head. And all of this directly contradicts the, the Catholic teaching that the Pope is the head of the church, right? Not true. And so much of what the Catholic Church has, has taught on this is, is, has been erroneous, been in, based on an erroneous interpretation of Scripture, right? So go back, now go back to verse 18 again. And right in the middle of it, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. These five words, underline that phrase, I will build my church. These five words really kind of says it all. Let me kind of elaborate. Let me kind of give you a couple of quick observations on these five words, and I will build my church. First, it's very clear. The church, Jesus said the church is his. He said, I will build my church. I will build my church. You see, the church doesn't belong to an organization. The church doesn't belong to an individual. South Bay Community Church is not my church. It is not Pastor Greg's church. It is God's church. It is Jesus' church. Jesus said, I will build my church, right? Second, 
Jesus said, he said that he would build his church, right? We don't build churches. We don't build churches. Jesus is the one who builds the church. He allows us to be a part of it. We can be part of it, but he is the one who builds the church. Third, the church is the only thing that Jesus ever promised to build. It's the only thing he ever promised to build. Think about that. Jesus never said, I think I'm going to build me a college. I think I'm going to build me a nonprofit organization. I think I'm going to build me a a campus ministry. I think I'm going to build me a a relief organization. Jesus never said that. The only thing he ever said he would build was the church. I will build my church. And when he said that, he wasn't referring to a building. I'm going to build a building. He was referring to people because that's what the church is. And that brings me to the first reason why I love the church. I love the church because it's all about him. It's all about Christ. You can write that one down. The church is all about Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the rock. He is the foundation. He was the one who promised to build it. It is all about him. And the part that blows me away away every single day, the part that blows me away every single day is that I get to be a part of it. That all of us, we get to be a part of it. I want to tell you, the greatest honor of my life has has been to be a part of something that God is building. Right? And if you're not part of the church, you got to get to be, you got to get, you know, get engaged and, and be part of the church because there's nothing more exciting than being a part of something that God is building on planet Earth. There is nothing more exciting than that. You know, just like the rest of you, I've been uh, keeping an eye on what's been going on with the coronavirus uh, outbreak. About 10 days ago, I reached out to a lady who used to attend our church. Uh, her name is Katie uh, and her two sons. This is her here. Um, about two years ago, she moved to China with her sons. And, um, you know, then it occurred to me, wow, she's in China. I wonder how she's doing. So I sent a message to her about 10 days ago. Sent a message to her, uh, uh, to her through Facebook. And she's pretty active on Facebook. And I didn't get a response. And I just thought, that's kind of strange because, you know, she's pretty active uh, and she didn't respond. And so I, I mentioned at staff meeting on Tuesday, hey, I reached out to Katie. I haven't heard from her. I'm getting a little concerned, right? Just days went by and nothing, no response whatsoever. Now, just to go back for a second, when I first heard about the outbreak of the coronavirus in China, you know, it, it was, I was pretty matter of fact about it. Like, oh yeah, you know, one more thing. And, it, you know, I mean, I'm sure it'll pass. And it wasn't that big a deal to me. And then when it occurred to me that she was there with her sons, then it kind of, that was kind of the game changer for me. Then I started thinking, wow, you know, I wonder, I hope they're okay. You know, because she was part of our church. I hope she's okay. It became personal all of a sudden. And it, and it just hit close to home because it could affect somebody that I know, even though it was 6,500 miles away. You know, just like the rest of you, I have no idea how this coronavirus thing is going to play out here at home and around the world. I have no idea what's going to happen. But, but I would just say to all of you, I have a couple things I want to say to you about this. One is, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to say this. I just think that we should all just be, take every precaution. All of us, all of you should take every precaution you can against uh, coronavirus or for that matter, any kind of illness, right? Just take every precaution you can. Wash your hands, Right? Wash your hands all the time. If you're sick, cover your mouth. Right? Cover your mouth. If, if you're sick, don't be shaking everybody's hands and spreading your germs. Right? Just why stuff. They, they tell you if, you if your child gets sick, 
Keep your child at home because you don't want them to spread it. And of course, you don't want your kid to get it from somebody else. It's just common sense things, right? And actually, there's a lot of information online about what you can do to protect yourself even from coronavirus. But let me put, put this in perspective, all right? I want to put this in perspective. And this is not to downplay the coronavirus, but I want to put it in perspective. According to the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, between, and I'll put the chart up here for you, between October the 1st of 2019 and February 22nd of 2020, which was just a few days ago, between 32 and 45 million Americans have been infected with the flu, regular influenza. 32 million, let's, let's take the low number. 32 million Americans got the flu between October 1st and February 22nd, five months. The last five months, 32 million Americans have gotten the flu. That's a staggering number compared to the coronavirus uh, cases, right? Of that 32 million Americans who got the flu, 18,000 to 46,000 Americans have died. Let's just take the low number. 18,000 people have died of the flu. Americans have died of the flu in the last five months in our own country. 18,000 people. Think about that. Now compare that to the number of people who, who have died of the coronavirus in the last month and a half, I guess. Uh, the number as of this morning was 2,995. So just five short of 3,000, 2,995 people have died worldwide from the coronavirus death. Now that's not to minimize it, but that's just to put some things into perspective. We should all be concerned about the flu, right? We should all be concerned about getting the flu, right? And, and so I just want to put that in perspective. And so here's what I want to say to you. And I feel like I can address this to you because this is more in my, um, in my world uh, and that is, one, we shouldn't panic, right? Don't panic. We shouldn't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What should we do instead? We trust in the Lord, right? We trust in the Lord. Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4. The psalmist wrote, when I am afraid of coronavirus or anything else, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Right? We, we trust in the Lord. Second, what do we do? We pray. Paul said in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about the flu. Do not be anxious about coronavirus. Do not be anxious about your kids. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? We had a, what do we do? We should trust. We trust God. And second, we pray. Right? We, we pray. We should be people of prayer. And, should we, and we should also take precautions. We went out this week and bought a bunch more hand sanitizers, and we put them out all over the place, right? So use it, right? They're there for you. Use it. And if you're sick, wear a mask, or, or maybe you need to stay at home, right? Whatever you do, do, don't breathe in people and touch their faces and hands, and don't touch little kids especially, right? Just common sense things. But on a spiritual end, which is what I feel like I have authority to speak to, we need to trust God. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Trust the Lord, right? And, and pray. Pray. Here's what you can pray. Just pray that the virus stops spreading. Pray that the virus stops spreading. Pray that scientists can develop some kind of a vaccine and get a, a greater understanding of how this thing is spreading. Pray for those who are infected, that God would heal them. Pray, pray for those who are treating the sick, that God would protect them. 
pray that God would protect all of us. You know, and I selfishly pray, God, protect the people in our church because this is my family. Pray that for your protection. And pray that God would be glorified through all this, all around the world. This is infecting the whole world. Pray that God would be glorified through all this. All right? So right now, let's just take a moment to pray uh, over this situation. Okay? We pray with me? Father, I know a lot of people. I mean, this is, this is on everyone's mind. It's been on my mind. And I, I suppose that there's some people in this room and they're really just kind of panicking over this whole thing. Father, we, we come to you right now and we confess, man. We, we've been afraid. A bunch of us have been afraid and we're anxious and we're worried and freaking out. We're panicking. God, we come and we, we want to declare to you, man, we, we need you. We're so thankful that you are who you are, that you're a God who's totally in control. You are in control of, of coronavirus and every other influenza out there. And Lord, we want to trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you to take care of things. And Father, we, do, we pr- pray from, all, from, from, from our hearts that, that you would stop this virus from spreading. We pray that you would help the scientists to discover a vaccine, discover, uh, come up with a vaccine and, and help them to figure out how they can put a stop to this. We pray for all those who've been infected, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people who've been infected, not only in our country, but around the world. Father, we pray that you, you're, you would touch them from head to toe and bring healing to their bodies. And God, help those, minister to those who are ministering to the sick, the doctors and the nurses, our healthcare professionals. God, that you would protect them and help them and Father, somehow through it all, we pray that Jesus, you'd be lifted up and that you would be, you would be glorified through this. We pray that all around the world, people would turn to you and, and declare their need for you. So Father, thank you. Lord, thank you that we can turn to you when we're afraid. We can turn to you when we're anxious. And God, you'll take care of it. So Father, thank you. We lift this up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, well, I'm happy to report. On Friday morning, just two days ago, I finally got a message back from Katie. And she said, hey, we're great. Thank you. I, I, might have, I must have missed your, your message, but we're, do, we're all doing great. She said that they're basically uh, staying at home. She said the kids aren't going to school because the schools have been closed. And then she said, that she said, quote, God has been watching out over us and taking good care of us. And when she said that, you know, those, those words just, uh, just warmed my heart. You know, I, I haven't known Katie very long. She wasn't here very long. But because she was a part of our family, our church family here, even though she's halfway around the world, you know, it became personal and I care. I, I had to care about what's going on in her life. You know, and that just all reminded me of the second reason why I love the church. I love the church because of how it brings people together. I love the church because regardless of what language you speak, regardless of what country you're from, regardless of what the color of your skin is, we all come under the banner of God's love. We all come under his, his leadership. I don't know if you know this or not, but we have people in our church who are from all over the world. We have people from here from all over the world. And I'm not talking about people whose grandfathers are from someplace else or whose parents are from someplace else. I'm talking about people in our church who themselves were born in other places and they've come here to America and somehow they ended up here at South Bay Community Church. Let me just, I made a list based on some of the people I know of where people are from and I know there's a whole bunch more. But peop, here's what I know. People, there are people in our church who are, who, who are here from Mexico. There are people here from Indonesia. There are people in our church who are from Singapore and they're here from Japan. 
And there are people here who are born in the Philippines and people who are here from China and Taiwan. And there are people here who are from Canada and Puerto Rico and Colombia and, and South America and Ecuador. There are people here from India and Ghana and Africa and South Korea and Guam and Samoa and Brazil and the Dominican Republic. There are people here from Uganda and Belize. I believe the lady who's, who comes to church is from Belize. She's here this morning. There are people here from Italy, born in Italy, Cameroon, and even Mongolia. There's a lady who comes to her church, and she's from Mongolia. And then we have a whole bunch of people, and they're here from Hawaii. And I included them because they're like a foreign country. <laughs> because they talk so funny, right? There, and, and maybe I, I might have missed you. And if I missed you, you know, jot, jot down where you're from, the country you're from. Jot it down on a connect card and turn it in so that I can add you to the list. Right? But we've got people here from all over the world. And <clears throat> for, to all of you, I mean, in fact, to all of you, even all of you sitting in the lobby, this is home. Welcome home. This is church, right? And that's why I love Christ. That's why I love the church. In fact, I love the church because what brings us together is that we have a common father and we are brothers and sisters and it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all of our sins. I love what Paul said in Acts 20, 28. He said, be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul said Christ purchased the church with his own blood. I mean, this speaks of the preciousness of the church. In 1 Peter 1, 18, Peter Peter wrote this, he said, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Again, these, are about the, these verses are about the preciousness of Christ and how Christ bought and paid for every one of our sins that we would be part of his family. He did it with his precious blood, and that's why I love the church. Write this one down. I love the church because it is God's precious possession. You and we are all a part of God's precious possession. So right now, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them that they are precious. You are precious, but don't say it like Gollum did, my precious. No, say, you are precious. Will you say that to the person next to you? You are precious. I just wanted you to say four words. I just, you just keep going on. This is good, right? I love this. Now, go back. We're going to finish it off with this. Go back to Matthew 16, all right? Go back to Matthew 16. Remember, it was at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am, right? And it was at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to build his church. Here's what I didn't tell you about Caesarea Philippi. I want to finish it off with this. This is so good. What I didn't tell you about Caesarea Philippi was that it was, a, it was a haven for cult worship. It was a hotbed for idolatry because it was a place where the, the cult of Pan flourished. See, at one time, Caesarea Philippi was named after the Greek god Pan, who was a half-man, half-goat deity who played the flute, like this statue. This is kind of, I suppose this is what he looked like. Um, but eventually, the city 
was, was renamed, the, the city was once called Pontius or Bonius. And it was renamed, the city was renamed Caesarea Philippi. It was renamed by Herod the Great. Herod the Great actually named it Caesarea. He named it after Caesar Augustus, who was the ruler of the, uh, the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus was the one who gave Herod the Great this area. He said, this is yours. So he named it in honor of his, of his uh, emperor, Caesar Augustus. So he named it Caesarea. And then after Herod the Great died, his son Philip added his own name to it, and he called it Caesarea Philippi. And that's what it was called during the time of Jesus. And as I said, Caesarea Philippi was a hotbed of idolatry. And everywhere you look, there would be shrines that would be built and dedicated to, to the god Pan and to the Canaanite god uh, Baal, Baal or Baal. And when we were in Israel in November, we had an opportunity Remember Caesar and Karen? We had an opportunity to go up to Caesarea Philippi. We got there, we got on our tour bus and they took us up to Caesarea Philippi. And when we got there, we saw some of the, some of the ancient altars. They were still there. They were still there. Not only that, when we got there, right in the heart of the city, in this ancient city, was a cave. And this photo uh, was taken by Margie Inoue of the cave in the distance there. And then here's a close-up shot of the cave. Now, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, right when you entered the cave, there would be this, this horrible precipice, this terrifying, it would be a drop-off, and it would be like a bottomless pit. It was dark, it was, it was, it was deep, you couldn't hardly see, and, and, and at the very bottom of the cave, so the cave didn't go in this way, it went in this way, and it went straight down, and at the bottom of the cave was this pit was this was a pool of water and they tried to measure Josephus the historian said they tried to measure the water by tying a stone to some rope and lowering it down and he says it was just it was endless they don't know how deep it went they could never figure out how deep it went and what would what would happen is that people would come from all over the place they would come from far and wide to worship the god Pan by throwing animal sacrifices into the cave and into the water, literally throwing it over into the cave, and it would cure the animal that was sacrificed, hit the water. Well, it was thought that the cave was the entrance into hell itself. That's what people believed, that it was the entrance into hell itself, and the cave came to be known as the gates of Hades. came to be known as the gates of Hades. And so when Jesus and his disciples entered into the district of Caesarea Philippi, this was the backdrop for what Jesus said to them about the church. This was the backdrop. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me that they stood right in front of this cave. And Jesus said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When I heard that, I had chills running my back thinking, you know, Jesus, whenever he spoke, he didn't simply pull words out of thin air and says, I think I'll say this and I think I'll say this. This was the backdrop. And he knew exactly what he's talking about because they knew this was referred to, that cave was referred to as the gates of hell. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It was a stunning declaration it was a stunning declaration, and the reason Jesus said it is because he knew, 
He knew that when he ascended in heaven and the church was born in Acts chapter 2, he knew the church would come under attack from the devil himself. The devil would attack the church. It would come under assault. It would come under assault from Satan himself. He knew that the devil would go after his precious children, all of us, and he would stop at nothing to take us down. I want to close by showing you an example of what the devil has been up to in a place called North Korea. Take a look at this. Yesu 아이들이 와서 기도 아버지가 기도하라고 했고 예수님을 믿으라고 했다고 우리 아버지가 믿는 예수님도 좋은 분일 거라고 해서 그때부터 우리는 기도하기 시작을 했습니다. 아 이렇게 아들이 손을 잡아당기고 거기다가 예수님을 믿어라. 예수님은 눈으로는 볼수 없지만 예수님은 확실히 계시고 일을 하신다. 북성대에서 감옥에서 안기부 간첩으로 몰려가지고 그 복음을 전하고 밤에는 원래 복음을 전하고 아픈 사람 기도해주고 그러면서 이제 거기서 그렇게 그런 사역을 할때 하나님께서 그 사람을 통해서 그 감옥에다가 지하 교회를 세워주셨어요. 저희 남편은 정말. 나는 이제 죽어도 천국이 있다. 천국 소망이 있기 때문에 이제 죽어도 나는 아쉬 이 세상에 아쉬울 것이 없다고 그냥 그런 이야기를 했다고 그래요. 감옥에 있을 때 특히 감옥에서 정말 많은 사람들이 옆에서 죽어가고 항상 주님께서 내 마음에 기둥이 되고 나의 마음에 등재가, 등대가 되어주시고 
예수가 나를 부른 초상에 누이시며 실망한 물가로 인도하시도다 나의 소생시키시며 자기 이름을 위하여 의길로 인도하시도다 내가 사망의 음침한 골짜기로 다닐지라도 해를 두려워하지 아니할 것은 주께서 나와 함께 하심이라 이것을 묵상하면 잠깐만 이렇게 하나님께 이 말씀으로 나를 위로해 주시고 힘을 주고 내가 거기서 정말 무사히 나올 수가 있었고 하나님으로 정말 주님 뜻에 합당한데 정말 모든 기도가 응답되고 그 나라에도 신앙의 자유가 올 날이 있을 줄로 믿으면서 항상 정말 그 날을 기다리는 인내하면서 우리가 주셔서 감사하고 그래서 항상 이 노래를 부를 때마다 자꾸 이렇게 눈물을 흘리게 되죠 주님 은혜가 너무 감사해가지고. 나같은 죄인 살리신 주은해 고마워 잃었던 생명 찾았고 광명을 얻었네 Jesus knew that his precious church would come under attack that's exactly what's happened right out of the gate Church has been under attack from within and without. False teachers have risen up in the church. False religions have emerged throughout the world. Churches have split. Churches, church leaders have fallen, succumbed to pride, immorality, greed. The devil has gone after marriages. He's gone after families. He's gone after children. He's gone after teenagers. He's fomented evil all throughout the world. He's even murdered God's children. The other day, more than 100 Boko Haram militants armed with AK-47s and RPGs attacked a half a dozen churches in Nigeria, killing all the Christians there. About a week ago, Hindu extremists in India attacked 70 Christians on their way home from a prayer meeting. And you know what Jesus said about all these attacks on the church? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I know sometimes... It may not seem like that, right? I can't imagine what it's like for those 50,000 believers in a North Korean prison camp. Um, seemingly no hope except to die and go home to be with Jesus. Sometimes it doesn't seem like Satan will relent or that there will be victory in it all. But there will be. Christ said the devil will not win. But one day the church is going to win. 
and we will win. Romans 16, 20, Paul said, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet and my feet. And one day, there will be a celebration in heaven unlike no other, like no other. It's described for us in Revelation 19. Go home and read it this week. It's your homework. It's referred to as the marriage supper of the Lamb. When the church, that's you and me, will be gathered together in heaven and we will be joined and united with the Lord in the fullness of all of His glory, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will win. And that's why I love the church. I love the church because we will win. And we will win because Christ will win. And there will be victory because Christ has given the victory and He's had the victory. And one day, according to Revelation 21, we will be His people and He will be our God and we will really, truly be home and He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death and no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain and no more cancer and no more Alzheimer's and no more coronavirus. And that's why I love the church. What about you? Do you love the church? Or do you not care for the church much at all? I hope you love the church. Because it's all about him. Because we are God's most precious possession. And because we will win. Amen? Let's close our time in prayer. Father, thank you for the church. And Lord, the church is yours. It is, you care more about the church than any pastor and every pastor put together. You care more about it than we do because you bought and paid for it with your own blood. And so thank you for the promises that you've given to us. That the devil's not going to win. He's not going to prevail over the church. But that we will win because you won. And Lord, I pray that you would do a work in every one of our hearts and minds. That we'd come to a place where we would love the church, even this church, with all of its flaws, with all of our flaws, and with all of our imperfections that we would love our church and that we would be more committed than ever to being a part of this great work that you're doing on planet earth through the church. You are building the church, your church. And I pray that you would help us. God, what a privilege you've given us to be part of it. Help us to be engaged, not simply be spectators, to be a part of it, to love each other, to pray for each other, to care for people like Katie and others and this lady, he Wu, whom we don't even know, but one day we'll meet. And we'll meet her husband. So do a work in us. Do a work in us, Lord, that South Bay Community Church will be the church 
you've always wanted us to be. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the great sacrifice that you made on, on our behalf. We dedicate ourselves to you. Be the center of our church. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.